Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your kindnesses to us. Lord, as we open up your word now and we, as we uh, seek to uh, study it and, and um, grow uh, from it, would you give us your spirit now? Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, why, why don't you grab your Bibles, your phone apps, whatever you need. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 6. And while you're doing that, uh, any of you guys watching the Super Bowl today? One person. You know what's funny is I think, I, I would guess that uh, of everybody in this room who is watching the Super Bowl, about 80, let's go ahead and say 95% of you are probably going against the Patriots. Uh, that, would be, that would be my guess. It was really funny. I was, um, I was reading the news this morning, and uh, they were trying to make the case, so like Tom Brady, the quarterback for the Patriots, is like, He's known for, you know, being the, the bad guy, okay? Like he's once too, too many is what, is what people say. So across the nation, most people are like upset with him, can't root for him. If anything, they're rooting against him. Except for New England, of course, is where their team's from, and the Bay Area because that's where he's from. And I said, come now. Like that's not the Bay Area I know. A lot of people are just like, but I'll tell you what I'm going for. I'm going for good commercials. Like I think at $5 million, a 30-second slot, which actually is a great segue to our topic today, money and possessions. Unintended, but actually interesting. Uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're move, we've been moving our way through Jesus' most famous sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount, as it's, as it's called. Um, we, have, we come now to Matthew 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip a few verses to keep the theme and look at verses 19 through, through 24. So chapter 6, verse 1 says, Be careful not to practice your right, righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jumping down to verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Powerful words from Jesus as he comes to this topic of, of money and possessions, which Jesus talked a lot about money and possessions. It was a whopping 15% of everything he talked about as far as what we have recorded in the Bible. 15%. That's more than the topics of heaven and hell combined in terms of what Jesus said about, about those. So the question then becomes, well, why did he talk so much about money and possessions? Why was it so pressing? By the way, with a much poorer culture and society back then and versus today in Silicon Valley as we listen to it with our modern ears, why was it so pressing to him? For Jesus, our faith in how we view our finances and how we handle them, we, they cannot be separated. Our faith and our finances cannot be separated. They, they go hand in hand. He says very plainly, in no uncertain terms, you cannot serve both God and money. And so it's something we need to consider. 
you know, as Jesus has been talking about uh, this upside-down kingdom, which was what we've been calling this series, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, he's been saying this, he's like, you got to understand what God has done for you, who he is, and, and how much he has done for you, and then when you understand that, you will begin to live in extraordinary ways. We've talked about it in a number of different ways, and we've kind of been working our way through. But today he says, this is how you live in extraordinary ways when it comes to your finances. In other words, how we as followers of his, if you're a follower of his, are to be salt of the earth, light of the world when it comes to our finances. You've heard me say this before. It's just, it's a thought, it's a, a data point that we, we, we think of often because it's very central to what we're trying to be about here at Current. The Silicon Valley has been described as the richest part of the U.S., according to certain measurements, while also being the most miserly, falling near, near dead last in terms of per capita charitable giving. So, church family, how are, we, how, are we, how are we to lead out in this with how we view and we handle finances? How are we to be the salt of the earth, light of the world when it comes to our finances? That is what Jesus is talking about here, and it's very helpful for us to consider. So at, here's what we're going to do as we, as we kind of uh, consider that thought and kind of work our way through the text. We're going to look at, number one, what the problem is that Jesus kind of pulls out here in the text, and then what the solution or what the antidote is to that problem. So what, what's the problem and then what's the antidote? So number one, uh, we see the, the problem here. And what Jesus is saying here is it all starts with our hearts. It all starts with the heart. In verses one through three, he's saying uh, a similar thought here. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of the others to be seen by them. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with the trumpets as the hypocrites do to be honored by others. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What's he saying? He's saying, look, at the end of the day, God cares very much about what we do, the, the righteous actions that we do, including giving to the needy. He cares that we do those things. But don't you notice that he's kind of taking that thought for granted? He's kind of saying, of course you're going to do that. What he's saying here in these verses is God's not so much concerned about, the, uh, concerned about the what he is as he is more primarily concerned with the how we give, with the, with the heart motive behind it. Um, God wants us to give with sincere hearts. He wants, us to, he wants to give with a sincerity. It starts with the hearts. Now, why is that? Well, of course, when we live out that way, we will begin to, to, to naturally give and love others with our actions in a way that just becomes natural. And not just in any, any way whatsoever, a, a way that becomes beautiful and extraordinary. He's saying it starts with the hearts. It has to be an inside-out action. Um, this is a, a theme that uh, is very central to Jesus' teachings uh, all across his accounts, very close to the gospel message itself. We need to be changed from the inside out, Jesus is saying, here in the Sermon on the Mount and, and elsewhere. I think one of the places that's really interesting that kind of captures this thought, maybe most clearly in, in, in my humble opinion, is one time he's, he's hanging out with the Pharisees. That's the religious elite of the time. By the way, they're also called hypocrites, which is worth noting because verse 2, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And on one occasion, he calls them hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites. And he uses this metaphor. He says, you guys focus so much on cleaning the outside of the cup when what you really need to be doing is focusing on cleaning on the inside of the cup. If you clean the inside of the cup, then the outside of the cup will take care of itself. What's he saying? That metaphor, he, he explains in that, in that text, he's saying that the inside of the cup is our hearts. And the outside of a cup is, our, is, our, is the righteous actions that we do, including things like giving to the needy. He's saying to the Pharisees, he said, guys, focus on your heart, getting your heart right, and then you will naturally do these things. 
you will naturally do them. Uh, Jesus said the very first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who don't say, hey, God, look at the things that I'm doing. Look how I'm giving to the needy. You know, blessed are those who realize, man, even our good actions, to borrow a, an analogy from Jer- Jeremiah, uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah, even our good actions are like filthy rags when it comes to, to our standing before the Lord. We are so poor in spirit before God. It's like we're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing we can offer where we go, you know what, God, we deserve this or that. Or look at us, how we, what we've done. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those when we realize, oh my goodness, it actually really comes down to not what we do and all that. That's all good. That's important. But it comes down to first and, and, and primarily what, who God is and what he has done for us. And when we realize his goodness to us, primarily in Jesus and the gospel, which we'll talk about more later, when we do that, it'll well up within us, and then we'll begin to live the life that he calls us to. But what he's saying here and what he's warning against is it's real easy, especially when you're focusing on actions. That, that road is, 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 a, is, a, is a steep drop and a slippery slope to hypocrisy. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this thought of hypocrisy and how it plays out in our culture and all that sort of thing to, to kind of like think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, in my newsfeed over the last uh, recent past um, there's been a couple of examples that just kind of come to my mind. I, I don't know for sure, but and I won't mention any names here because that's my 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 goal here is not to pass judgment or anything, but just kind of to, to to think about this thought of hypocrisy. Um, there's been at least two examples in the recent past where there's been these business tycoons who have run into some you know bad publicity in the news cycle. You know what I'm saying? Just like bad PR. They did this or this, and the public's just reacting. They just don't like what they're they're all about. That sort of thing. Um, but what's happened in, in two cases that I've seen is, is, sure enough, a couple of weeks later, these same dudes who had the bad publicity are now, like a week or two later, also in the, uh, in the news again, but this time they're giving a considerable sum to this organization or to this cause. Now, again, I'm not trying to pass judgment. That's why I'm not even saying names here. But it's like, are they giving to the need or is the need they're giving to their PR? And then also, would they have even given to begin with? Now, again, who knows? Okay, that's, that's not the undertaking of my, my point here. But it's, it's, it's a real slippery step towards hypocrisy. And Jesus says, if, if, he says, the, the type of giving that Jesus is talking about here is not giving out of guilt, not giving out of a, uh, of a sense of obligation, but giving because of, oh my goodness, God has given so we can, we can begin to give. It's an inside-out uh, action, an inside-out uh, love. You know, Jesus even says, go to extreme lengths to protect yourself from trying to get, you know, have other people see, oh, wow, you're wonderful. He's like, give in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. And then he says in verse 4, so that when you give in, your father will see. This is all for him. And when he sees that we're giving and nobody notices, I, I, I think what Jesus is saying is that brings a smile to his face. Because we are giving out of the blessing that he's given us, and he's proud, he's proud of us, and he, that, that brings him joy. It brings us joy. Now, here's the temptation, it seems to me, when it comes to what we're talking about here and what, what we're understanding what Jesus is saying. There's a real temptation to read Jesus' thoughts here and say, oh, yeah, it's those rich guys. It's those rich people who have this upside down. It's the rich people who are failing in this regard. They're the greedy ones. But if we do that, even subtly in our minds, we miss the force of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, remember who he's talking to. Very first verse, when he goes up on the mountainside, he's talking, he calls the crowds to him. That's Matthew, the guy who's writing this account. That's his way of saying just everyday Joes and Janes. You know, again, in a poor society, let alone like a Silicon Valley. 
He's saying he's, a, he's talking to them. And then verses 22 through 23, which we'll unpack a little bit more in a bit, uh, here's what he says. He says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, that word literally means if we have a stingy outlook on life, a kind of a greedy, greedy look, uh, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? One of the thoughts we can pull from here is Jesus saying it is very easy. It is very easy to be blind to greed. Uh, one pastor uh, made this insight. I'll never forget it. He said, of all the things that Jesus is kind of like warning us against and teaching us about, uh, greed is one of the very few things he actually says literally, watch out for, like, watch out against. In Luke uh, 12, or somewhere around there, yeah, Luke 12, he says, uh, Luke 12, 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard against every form of greed. Watch out. Uh, he doesn't say that about most other things. For instance, a couple weeks ago, we talked about adultery. He didn't say watch out for adultery. And uh, the thought there is like, you know, if you're, heaven forbid, you know, in the act of adultery, you'll never find yourself saying, oh, wait a minute, you're not my wife. Like, you don't have to watch out in that way. See how that thought always stuck with me? It's like, oh. Uh, he, but, but in terms of greed, he said, you got to watch out. you got to watch out. It's, it'll just creep up on you. It'll, it'll, just, it'll just come to be. Here's where Jesus really presses home the thought just real, just real hard in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Fred, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, the 19th century philosopher, um, the guy who's famous for saying God is dead, uh, he argued that as, Western, as, as the absence of God became more prevalent in Western society, that we would replace God with money. He said this, what induces one man to use false weights, another to set his house on fire after having insured it for more than its value, while three-fourths of our upper class indulge in legalized fraud? What gives rise to all this? Is it not real want? For their existence is by no means precarious, but they are urged on day and night by a terrible impatience at seeing their wealth pile up so slowly, and by an equally terrible longing and love for these heaps of gold. What once was done, quote, for the love of God, end quote, is now done for the love of money, i.e., for the love of that which at present affords us the highest feeling of power and a good conscience. What he's saying is, is, is money will replace God in our lives, but Jesus was arguing that 2,000 years ago. He was saying that's how it's going to be. Uh, I feel uh, Tim Keller puts this really well in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods. He, what he talks about is when Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters, and you cannot serve both God and money, he's saying money can easily become our functioning God. Um, and he says, really, there's, there's two ways you can think about it. First of all, we can become lovers of money. That's the idea of, you know, we find ourselves daydreaming, fantasizing, oh, I'm going to get that yacht, that cabin, you know, that house, or whatever. He said, he said when, we, when we go there, what, what can happen is we can become consumed with desire. We can become lovers of money, or we can become trusters of money. And that's the thought of, you know, getting our sense of security in, you know, our job, our 401k. But if anything, heaven forbid, should, uh, should threaten that, let alone something actually happen to that, boy, watch out. When we are trusters of money, we can easily become consumed with uh, worry. Um, that's what Jesus is talking about here. When he says you, we can serve money, that word serve is the same word that was used for, you know, ancient peoples bending the knee and serving a king. 
with absolute loyalty. It was just kind of like, you know, basically becoming enslaved to. He's saying that's what can happen with money. But Jesus says these feelings, these feelings of love, these feelings of trust need to be directed towards the Lord. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And then in John 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So there's the problem. It's a big problem. It starts in our hearts, but it's the power of, that money can easily hold over our hearts. So what then is the solution? Um, we come now to, to, to consider the antidote. And Jesus talks about this in a couple ways, but, but in verses 22 through 23, he gets really practical about it. Um, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, again, we need to understand that that word he uses for healthy, uh, some of your Bibles, well, you, you'll look down and it'll, it'll say that he's using the, the, the word that he chose specifically for healthy there has a connotation of generous. So it's kind of having an outlook in that sense. He's saying if you want to experience health, health in your life in this area, you want to thrive, you want to have light in there, uh, you want to break the, the, the power of money that, that money might have over you, He's saying this, look to give freely, look to give generously. Give freely, give generously. In his book, uh, The Treasure Principle, a Christian author, uh, Randy Alcorn, uh, basically makes the statement, the only real antidote to materialism is to give generously. And here's how he, he puts it. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God, not about us. It's saying, I'm not the point. He's the point. He does not exist for me. I exist for him. God's money has a higher purpose than my affluence. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and, greater, and a greater agenda. Giving affirms Christ's lordship. It dethrones me and exalts him. It breaks the chains of mammon, which is actually literally the word that Jesus is using here when we serve God or money, the, the God of money. It breaks the chains of mammon that would enslave me. As long as I still have something, I believe I own it. But when I give it away, I relinquish control, power, and prestige. At the moment of release, the light turns on. The magic spell is broken. The mind clears. I recognize God as owner, myself as servant, and others as intended beneficiaries of what God has entrusted to me. Giving doesn't strip me of my vested interests. Rather, it shifts my vested interests from earth to heaven, from self to God. The antidote, an antidote to uh, the power that money can have over our lives is to give freely, to give generously. Have you guys ever met people who just like in light of what Jesus is talking about, give freely, give generously? They're by definition hard to come across because if they're doing it right, they're not letting their left hand and the right, these people, you just have to stumble upon it. Okay, and there's, how do you do that? Well, it just happens. Um, you have to stumble upon it. But I'll tell you, there's this one word that I think of all these folks when it comes to their outlook towards giving. It is giddiness. I think you've heard me share that. Like they are just so giddy. They are so joyful. Like, we get to give. It's, it's really, you know, they're just, they're just a faucet. That's just, we just want to have a flowing of, of God's giving through us. Um, you know, I, I, had, I had a, uh, the Lord work this thought over me. Uh, trans transform my heart in this whole thought of what he's talking about, um, not from a, a position of wanting, but from a position of lacking. At one, at one point in our lives, when we set out, Cindy and I set out to start Current, um, financially, we we're like, okay, how's this going to work? And, you know, we had to go out to raise funds, 
not only that the church would get up and running, but that the, the family would, would make meet ends, ends meet. And I remember, so we, I'd go out, and I'd ask folks, and, I, and I'd, I'd basically ask apologetically. I'd say, hey, we're getting ready to start this thing. We have a team of folks. They're, they're awesome people. We're like, would you, be, would you be interested in, you know, I don't know if it's okay, you know, helping? I had one buddy at one point say, David, what are you doing? Like, you're giving, you're giving me the privilege to join the work that you guys, your team is doing. I should be thanking you. And I started going out, hey, do you want to help Kern? And you should thank us. You should really, <laughs> you should thank us. Joking, not joking. I mean, I didn't say any of that. I'll just, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, that actually is what Jesus is talking about here. My buddy is like, dude, we get to like join you guys in the movement that we believe God is getting ready to do or God is doing. We get to, we get, uh, thank you for letting us have that privilege. And I was just like, my goodness, like what an understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus at one point said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, the joy comes when we realize that ultimately we are stewards of what he's entrusted to us. We don't give because we, we have to. We give because we get to. Uh, Jesus says this in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, I think, you know, that makes sense. If we you know, if you start to invest in a certain company's stock, you know, whereas a month before you're not, you don't really care about that company. Now you're reading everything in your newsfeed about that company. Like you care, you know I mean, right? That makes sense. When we give to organizations, when we give to the church, when as a church we're giving to organizations like, like Freedom House, combating human trafficking in the Bay Area, working with survivors, we're thinking about them. We're praying for them. We're thinking about Jada, the owner of that. We're thinking about all the, the different folks that we come in contact with. When we're giving to churches in disaster relief, you know, like, like uh, Redemption Houston, they, they just got, just, boy, the pastor was putting up photos, like movies on Facebook of him on, on a rooftop and water just being, it just, we're thinking about them. We're caring for them. We're praying for them. We're, we're, we're watching. How's, how's it going in Houston? When, when it hit in Napa, we're thinking about the Rock Church. You know, now we're not just thinking about the wine and Napa. We're thinking about that church and all the stuff that's happening and the people and what all the churches are doing and, and the communities coming together to try to, to build that, that place back up, help real families, praying for them by name. Uh, we know how that works. Where our treasure is, there our, heart, there our hearts are, are also. One of the thoughts that's just been so mind-boggling for me um, over the last couple of years as I've been thinking about this, this famous this text is Jesus doesn't say this. Okay, he's talking about money possessions. This is a big text. He's like, he's saying, this is how you should view and handle money. He doesn't say, guys, you know, when it comes to money, try not to dirty your hands too much with it. Like, you know, necessary evil. Like, just, you know, do what you need to do to pay your, meet your daily needs. But holy people, they don't get, they don't get involved with that stuff. You, you following me? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus, you read this text, he's all about investing. He says... Uh, do not store up for, uh, up for yourselves treasure on, on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying invest, just don't invest in stupid, not smart. Think about the, in terms of there's, there's, there's not smart investments, Jesus is saying, and then there's smart investments. The not smart investments are things that are temporary in this life. 
You guys have undoubtedly heard the phrase. That's, that's the saying. That's why you'll never see a U-Haul following a hearse. We, we can't take any of that. That's sort of, Jesus is saying, invest in things that will last, the things, things that, will never, that, that, that are eternal. What then is that w- which will last? What are the things that are internal? One word, relationships, people. Verses 1 through 4 say, look for the need. Give where there's a need. Needy, think about the needs. Well, what's the needs? Jesus gives us the precedent for this. On every single page of every account that we have of him, Jesus was always giving himself. He, was always, he didn't have tons of ca- like actual cash, like that's, you know, he's an itinerant preacher poor and all that sort of stuff. But he was always giving to two needs. You may have heard me say this before. He was giving to the physical need, and he was giving to the spiritual need. He would feed the 5,000 physically with the loaves and, and, and the fish, but then he would feed them spiritually, sharing the kingdom of heaven is near. He would heal the lame man physically of his, of his ailment, and then he would heal the lame man spiritually, preaching forgiveness and offering it to him. Jesus was always meaning physical and spiritual needs. Those are the needs as followers of, of Jesus we are to be looking for and investing into. One of the parallel texts to what Jesus is sharing here, where he also says in Luke's account, uh, you cannot serve both God and money. He shares this parable, which a lot of people actually find quite troubling. He shares the parable of the shrewd manager, a dishonest manager. There was this dishonest manager who was just jacking his, his master and all his funds and all that sort of stuff. And the master comes to him and says, you can't do this. Like, what, you're going to be called to account. I'm going on a journey, but I'm coming back. You're going to be called to account. Well, what happens when that guy's away? The dishonest manager goes off and slashes all his master's debtors, just slashes all of them. And everybody's like, that's sweet. And dishonest manager is trying to, like, you know, abandon ship, basically. But then the master comes back, and the most astonishing thing happens when you consider what Jesus is teaching here. The master commends the dishonest manager, presumably right before firing him, but, you know. He commends the dishonest manager for, for at least two, on at least two accounts. One, for taking seriously that he was going to be held to account, that he, he had to live with a sense of urgency. But the other one was for the reason that this dishonest manager was using his current position for future gain. And Jesus makes this thought. He says, look, the people of this world, they know how to use money. They're really good at using money. Followers of mine. Be shrewd, like, don't be dishonest about it, but use money wisely, but for the sake of eternity. And actually what he says is, use your earthly wealth to gain friends that they might welcome you into the heavenly, into the heavenly dwelling. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, use our money, use our, invest in such a way that people will come to know Jesus. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing to kind of like break down a budget that way. Like, oh man, how could I? Where can I give? What, what can we be a part of? And what group? Um, that's what Jesus is saying. There's this old hymn. I imagine not anybody, if, uh, if, if anyone at all, uh, knows, knows this old hymn. It's called, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And it depicts an old, uh, it's an old song depicting what uh, meeting people in heaven's going to be like when they come and they share with each other. Oh, man, thank you so much for giving to the Lord in that way. Uh, that, that helped my family come to, to know Jesus. And thank you for, for instance, you know, I don't know, teaching in, in the, the, this new treehouse class. Thank you for setting up the chair. Thank you for the co- setting up the coffee. Thank you for giving to this group. And it's just going to be a big celebration. I, you know, I think about that moment, and I'm just thinking about, like, man, 
I want to thank whoever person or family gave so that my grandpa came to faith and then became a pastor. And then, you, you know what I'm saying? There's going to be a day of celebration. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, give to that, things that will last. They'll never be taken away. So that's the antidote in a very practical sense, but let's remember that's actually not enough, is it? Because if all we do is just say, hey, we got to gird ourselves up and give freely and give generously, then, then we'll be the people Jesus calls us to. We're, we'd, be, we'd be missing the point again. Because remember, transformation, life transformation, let alone something like as powerful that money, you know, as, as money and it can hold over our hearts, has to be from the inside out, doesn't it? It's from the inside out. Jesus says, again, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What he's saying is the only way not to serve money is to put God front and center in our life. Uh, The only way we will uh, dethrone money in our lives is to put him front and center. Only then will it not consume us with worry or desire. Uh, Jesus is saying quite plainly, you can't have both. It's either money or me. Now let's think about that for a second. Why would we choose Jesus over money? Maybe for the first time, if that's where you're at. Or maybe as a follower of his, money, boy, let's, let's be real about it. It has real power. Why would we choose Jesus over money? It's only when we understand that this Jesus, the one blinking at these guys, breathing, preaching these words to that crowd is the one who came to do for them as he came to do for us these very words that he's teaching. The gospel of Jesus is 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus in heaven had infinite wealth. Infinite wealth, anything that is way better than any earthly possessions. We get infinite wealth, and yet if he had held on to it, we would have died in our spiritual poverty. That's what the gospel is all about. He had a choice. If he remained rich, we would have died poor. And so we have to consider, what, why, why would he give all that away? Why would any of us give anything away, let alone something of, of great value like that? The only time we give away anything is because we want to gain something better. And in Jesus' case, what was greater than infinite wealth in heaven? What was greater than, than his life itself? We find that his prized possession, his prized treasure is us. He came to die that he might call us friends, as he does in John 15. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much Jesus loves you. He knows you intimately deeply. He knows where you don't quite get it right in terms of, of, of money. He knows where you don't quite get it right in terms of this area or that, that area, but he loves you. He extends his forgiveness and, and extends his hand to say, come, follow me, because that's what it's all about. We are following the one who's done this, who gave it all up, that we might have life in him. Um, our God is the one who gives, holding nothing back in order to love us. Uh, that's the gospel. That to all who would receive him, to all who would believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That's the, that's the gospel message. He gave up everything so that we can receive freely the gift of life. What do we do to earn it? Nothing. We say thank you. We receive it. We say, okay, blessed are the poor God. I am 
poor in spirit. Thank you for what you've done for me. And then if we are followers of his, we just let what he has done for us sink more deeply into our hearts. And as we understand what he's done for us, from the inside out, we will begin, our hearts will be stirred to live in the way he calls us to. That's our calling, church. Um, Here in the Silicon Valley of all places, you know, not in the sense of like patting ourselves on the back, hey, we got all these resources, more with a great sense of humility and responsibility of this is what we've been entrusted with individually and as a church collectively, and we get to use it, we get to steward it for God's kingdom building. You know, when we did that a fundraiser at the end of last year with the goal of raising $15,000 to do exactly what we're talking about here, and then, and then the church family gave 30000 to Exor. Does that not fill your heart? That they, I mean, and and, and, and to, to remind ourselves for, for God's praise and His glory, we're doing this, we've, we're, we're choosing to do this when we're still not self-sustaining as a church. Why? Because we want to build into our DNA that what Jesus is saying here is true, that we want to follow Him by faith, and trust him with money and finances, doing the things that we know he's called us to do, even when it might not make sense on a budget sheet. And I don't know about you guys, but that just, that just stirs my heart for God's goodness and to be a part of this with you guys. Pray for us as a church as we think about how to use those funds God, as God gives us opportunities. But let's be thinking about this, not only collectively, but individually. How can we live in extraordinary ways? I don't have to build the case. If we do even a hint in the direction of what Jesus is talking about, it'll be extraordinary. Using our money, our finances, our possessions for the sake of helping people know him, for the sake of meeting physical needs, spiritual needs. Uh, it's an extraordinary calling. It's a calling uh, that, that can give us much joy all because of what he's done. I have heard it said, serve not money, but rather make money your servant. May that be true of us as we follow the Lord in this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving everything up for us. Everything. Heavenly possessions. Your life. Lord, as we celebrate communion now, uh, we remember that the cross, when you, when you, you, you broke your body and you, you, you spent your blood, that you were giving us everything. You were holding nothing back. You gave us everything so that we can begin well, that we first can receive you, and then we can begin to give back only because you first gave. So we praise you and we thank you. Lord, would you help us as a church? Would you help us as individuals, families? Would you help us lead out in this? Not because we're holy or anything. Actually, such that, you know, we don't get any real credit. We don't want that. We want you to get the credit because it's all because of you and it's all for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, as I mentioned, we're going to be taking uh, communion. and.